What is it like? If you have two of these three things, you'll always work. It's <laughs> if you're good, if people like you, if you're fast. Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart. I am Hannah Camacho, and you're going to have to forgive my voice a little bit today. Um, I'm getting over a cold, so I tried to do as little talking as possible, uh, but it's still there and noticeable. So thank you for putting up with that. Um, today we have a really fabulous guest, Shannon Tyndall, who's really passionate about story and making stories personal. You may know his work from uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. He was the original writer of that story and um, was really involved in the story process there. He was the original director of the film and has uh, had a hand in a lot of other really great stories we're pretty familiar with, such as Coraline, The Powerpuff Girls Rule, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. He's just so passionate about writing good stories and making sure that they resonate not only with yourself as the writer, but also with your audience. And we, we get into some actionable truths is as far as when you're developing a story, how to make sure it's a winning story and how to make sure that um, your audience will be resonating with it. And uh, Shannon is just such a truthful guy, a really charming guy. And it was just a great conversation. So um, I hope you enjoy what we chat about today. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Shannon Tyndall. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for taking some time on your weekend to chat with me. I so appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me to, to, to be on. Of course. It's it's my pleasure. You've been a busy guy these days. <laughs> I have. I feel, It's funny because I feel I am busy, but since I like, there's a lot of stuff I can't talk about, yes. I, people think that you're not busy. And I'm <laughs> what like, are you no. you really doing? <laughs> uh, no, I was like, no, I'm, I am actually very I'm busy. Very busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. And you also have a family and when you have a family, the creative pursuits and balancing all that can be kind of an interesting challenge. But um, I do always love to hear a little bit about the backgrounds of anybody who's on the show, because I feel like what you know, we want to know your backstory and, and your full story and who you are and where you come from. And we won't dwell too much on this, but it'd be great if you could kind of walk us through a little bit of sort of where you come from, a little bit about your family background and um, I know that you initially uh, didn't pursue storytelling as your professional pursuit. So maybe just share a little bit about um, that point in your life, that pivotal point. Uh, yeah. So I I was born and raised in a, in a little town outside of uh, Louisville. I'll say it the proper way, Louisville. Oh, yes. For all my Kentucky fans out there, I'll <laughs> slip into right. the accent. Um, uh, called uh, Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Uh, nice. A lot of my family uh, family's still there. Most of my family's still there, and um, and yeah, I uh, I went to school there in Shepherdsville. Then I went to high school uh, in Louisville at Saint Xavier High School, and uh, and then I went to the University of Louisville, where I was a biology major and nice. interested in. Well, I was going to go pre med, and you know, and. Mom and dad were all happy about that, excited because <laughs> mom's a nurse and 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 dad actually became a nurse later. Did you feel and genuinely they, sorry to cut you off there? Did no, you no, feel sure. genuinely interested in that field or did it just kind of feel like a safe this makes sense, this will be a good living, or or did you find a genuine right. interest there? No, no. I always I've I always loved science. Uh and so I was definitely interested. Um, but there was also, you know, when you grow up in Kentucky Art is not the first thing <laughs> that you think of doing. Yeah. Uh, when you were like, hey, I might want to support myself at some point, and could I do this? Now, I always, 
I always drew. There was never a time mm. that I remember where I wasn't drawing or creating. Um, but it was my dad actually who said, hey, you know, you're doing well, you get good grades, but you don't seem to really be into this. Mm. What do you really want to do? And I said, I want to go uh, work in animation. And there's this school out in California called Cal Arts. And, <laughs> and, and, and my dad was like, all right, that's what you want to do. Show me that you, that you really want to do it. And, mm. and uh, I'll support you in that. And he actually read all of my animation books. Like he oh read my. Luke Pot and he read uh, Chuck Amuck and the, the art of animation by Bob Tom. Like he read all wow. those books. and mom was super supportive too. So, um, I applied to Cal Arts once and did not get in. Like I took, <laughs> I'd never put a portfolio together at all, and I took a month to put it together. But what was really cool was uh, I reached out. I, Dad was like, "You know what? You didn't get in. Whatever. We're gonna fly out there, and we're gonna. I'm gonna fly you out there, and we're gonna meet the teachers, and we're gonna see if you really have a chance." Wow. At this. And so we went, and I met Corny Cole, the legendary Corny Cole. Oh, wow. And and um. Uh, Martha Baxton, who who I think just retired last year from CalArts, and and Frank Terry, who was running the department, mm. just amazing people, and they were very in encouraging. And, and Corny actually would I would send him drawings, and he would send me critiques in the mail with letters. Wow, that's amazing. And and I got in the second time, and and. Uh, I started there in 97 and it was like, it was one of those places where I, as soon as I landed there, I felt this is, hmm. I, I should be here. This is where I belong. That's so great. So, yeah. I love how supportive your dad was. That's pretty rare. That's, and it's amazing that he, he educated himself and kind of, uh, you know, didn't take no for an answer. And wow, that's just amazing that you were able to build those relationships to get the critiques and the information that you needed in order to succeed the second time around. Yeah, and I well, what's crazy too is I had taken a job to save money in case I got in, so that I would have because you know art school's not cheap. No, yeah, yeah. and and so um, we had just had heavy flooding in Kentucky, and the mail was delayed, and so I was waiting get, to get the results back to see if I got in that second time, <laughs> and I was working second shift at this printing company uh, in downtown Louisville, and I'll never forget my dad calling me at work and saying you got in. Oh my and, goodness. And so, uh, that was pretty, that was pretty great. So it's pretty great. So yeah, I've been, I moved out here in 97 and I've been on the West coast ever since. Did you meet your wife at Cal arts? No, I met her on, uh, I was working on proud family as a character designer gotcha. and she was in production. Oh. And and so she actually she'd gone to art school at the Academy of Art in San Francisco, but but she had just she was uh she was an intern, then she, mm. well, she I mean sorry she was a PA, and then she became a coordinator on Proud Family, and that's that's where we met. Very cool, and it's and the rest is history. Did, yeah. Was your art school um experience? a good one? Did you just feel like you grew in leaps and bounds and it set you up for success immediately? I mean, a lot of folks that have sort of quote unquote made it in animation seem to share a couple of common traits. One of them being, you know, they don't wait for permission to make something. They're just, you know, in, in school, they're just churning out work 
And it, that doesn't stop once they're out of school, of course, and just working and working and working and, and learning and getting better. Um, did you feel like that was your experience? And right after you were done, it was kind of a smooth ride into the animation industry? Or did you encounter any any tricky um, hiccups? Well, it 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 was a mixture because uh, CalArts was a, a great decision. And and partly because the faculty the uh, faculty that we had was so supportive. We had the full time faculty during the day, which was Corny Cole and Mike Mitchell and 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 Frank Terry mm-hmm. and and just just amazing amazing Bruce Richards amazing teachers. Um, and and at night we actually had uh, professionals who worked in the industry industry who would teach story classes. So I had Steve Anderson. Um, I had Mark Kennedy, yeah. my story teachers. Yeah. So, so that was great. And then the people around me, these like the the people who were ahead and behind me in my class were so Pete Browngart was in my class who created Uncle Grandpa, oh, yes. and Audie Harrison who is the supervising director on that show. He's now at Disney. Uh, Shane Prigmore was uh, two years ahead of me. We're we're close friends. Peter Sohn, yeah. who directed Dinosaur. Uh, was in my class, Andy Schuler. So, like all these guys, when you have guys <laughs> that are that, that that talented, you you it just makes you want to work harder and be better. So there's Absolutely. a very a very good, um, uh, I would say, a supportive, positive type of competition. Sure. Um, so, but then the reality came of getting a job, and and like the bottom dropped out of the industry. Right mm. as I was coming to Cal oh, Arts, so I would hear these stories. Shane and Pete and those guys would be, like, "Oh man, yeah, last year, like uh, I got I got offered jobs at Pixar, but people barely knew who Pixar was at the time. <laughs> uh, uh, Disney, all these different places, and they got all these offers. And and then Shane and Pete and Andy Schuler, Eddie Rosas, mm. Devin Crane, they they all got uh, offers to work on Iron Giant. Oh wow! Um, which was my freshman year, and I remember Brad coming in and showing clips from it, and we were our minds were yeah. yeah. And then I got nothing. I got like I got oh, a call no. back to take a test on Dilbert. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was one. Uh, it nothing, like nothing happened. Uh, and mm-hmm. then I did get recommended for an internship at Imagineering. To okay. and it was for the animatronics. Oh, nice! So I spent a few weeks in the summer animating the animatronics as an internship. Uh, awesome people, but was like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really it was magical. It was it was because I was crashing at Shane and Pete's apartment, wow. and and we were just it was it was an awesome summer. Um, but it, you know, it was. I was like, I don't know what I want to do, do if I want to do this or not. And then second year, I had no money, and hmm. uh, I was recommended to help out on character design on Mickey Mouse Works, and that was kind of my first. I remember I just worked a few weeks on that show, but I remember making enough money on that show that I was like living the high life for the rest of the semester. Cause I was working <laughs> nice. and going to school. Now here's the good thing about like being a biology major, like heading for pre-med. Um, 
your chemistry and your calculus credits transfer real easily to Cal Arts. <laughs> I can imagine. So, so I didn't have to take any, like all my classes were art classes and animation related oh, classes. Oh, nice. So I could do the same, like where I, I would work during the day at Disney and then do my homework at night. Um, and then after that, I, it just, you know, you're kind of, you're like clawing from one job to the next, but it was, it was tough. It was, it was tough no doubt. coming out at that time because, uh, you know, the days of Lion King had kind of faded hmm. and, and so it was, there were, I had some pockets of, 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 uh, unemployment, but, um, but you know, then, then things kind of come back. It's, you hear it a lot. It's cyclical. It is. Yes. Uh, you're trying to, rest- you really want to try and establish your reputation. And, Absolutely. and sometimes you can't, you, you want to work on good stuff to establish your reputation. But what was good about mm-hmm. that period was because I had to work at so many different places. I had friends who would only, they would only, they were like an in-between or a cleanup in-between assistant at Disney. So they only knew people from Disney. Um, gotcha. And because I worked at a lot of different places, I got to know everybody. That's awesome. And that would come in handy later because then I would have friends who would, uh, I remember like I worked on my next gig out of Mouseworks was, uh, I was doing like some character layout on the ill-fated clerks animated show. And that didn't last very long. Um, it got canceled after two episodes. Oh boy. But friends I met there were going over to work at Warner Brothers and knew my work at Disney and said, you should come over and work over here. Oh, that's and so, great. Uh, but yeah, school prepared me because I was around such talented people. But then you have to kind of make your own way because mm. it's it's rough for that's a bit. True. Yeah, taking those relationships really seriously. And I mean, I'm not in you know the animation industry or the entertainment industry, but it's so true, <laughs> even in the tech world. Um, it, it makes all the difference in the world. It's a, it's a really fantastic point. Emotional yeah. intelligence will take you far. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, it's not even, it's not even, there, there wasn't even any kind of agenda with me. Oh, sure. It wasn't conscious. I, it, it, it just, it just kind of happens. And then because I had made such good, you, you make good friends at school and then, and then you just have fun at work. And, and, you, and it's really about putting your nose down and doing the work and, 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 you know, being hungry and really trying to make sure that you just do the best that you can. And then that's what gets you, starts to get you recognized. And although, you know, they, there's that magic formula. What is it like? If you have two of these three things, you'll always work. It's <laughs> if you're good, if people like you, if you're fast. So yes. like you can be fast and if people like you, you don't really have to be so good. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like it's it's and if you have all three, then you work, work, work. Then you're a triple and, threat. That's and, great. Yeah. So I, I've I have found that that to be true. There are a lot of people who who I think many of us artists uh, and you know are on the spectrum somewhere, and mm. and I think they're you know there are social challenges. That yes. come with it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you see it when you're out there in the business. There are some people who are like brilliant, brilliant artists, but it's tough for them to communicate. Yes. Um, and and I know you mentioned before uh, that that you have a son who is who is on the spectrum. I have a lot yeah. of friends, and 
And it, it's so it, – isn't it so crazy now that we're – before there's any kind of awareness about that. I'm totally – I told you I'm great at tangents. <laughs> Do it. But but <laughs> if it's you're totally unaware of this. You know, I think it, none of us were uh, growing up. Hmm. You would just – you say, oh, there's the awkward kid or there's the kid who, who has trouble talking to people. And then what I found when I went into went into art, um, more and more people uh, you find out are, are being diagnosed. And so there's there's a reason mm-hmm. for this. And yes. it's actually it's actually really cool, I think, that you can because uh, recently Jorge Gutierrez, who's a very good friend of mine. Yeah, he was just on the show, actually. Uh, oh, awesome. Uh so, so, so his son, um, yeah. uh, has autism. And then yes. I think Jorge recently has been yeah, diagnosed. You're correct. Yeah. And what a great thing to have somebody like Jorge who has done as much as he has yes. and, and, uh, talk about like a total bromance right there. Oh, he is just Me a and gem. boy. Jorge, he's moving back to LA. <laughs> you're like, yes. Did he, did he, yeah. Did he talk about that? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he's in he's in Texas now, correct? I think. Yeah, that's, he is. That's Actually, amazing. He is just the best. Yeah, one of my wow. greatest birthdays ever was there last year. So uh, I'm a Cinco de Mayo kid. And, <laughs> and Meg was like, hey, do you want to go to Texas and hang out with Sandra and Jorge? I'm like, yep. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So, um, but there, I will book in this like Kramer versus Kramer. There's a, there's a French toast sequence at the beginning and end of this and we'll bring it all back together uh soon you'll hear me talk about <laughs> Kramer versus Kramer is one of my favorite movies ever that's great and and it's actually I will say this much about my next project it's a huge inspiration for my next project oh that's exciting uh, and it's actually what got folks excited about it when I pitched it awesome but if I get to make it and when we announce it mm-hmm. I think people are going to be like what how is this related to Kramer versus Kramer? Um, That'll be exciting anyway. to see. Yeah. I think that's probably something that sets you apart um, is that you do seem to have um, just a natural way with people and relationships come easily to you and that served you well in your career, at least so far. Yeah. It, well, you know, it's funny you say that and yet <laughs> I like, don't really I, know you. <laughs> well, well, no, no, no. Because a lot of people, I, I, people have said that to me before. I have to kind of be pushed into those situations. Mm. I'm not a person that goes, yeah, let's go hang out with 50 people. <laughs> I'm anybody that knows me knows like I love small intimate groups. So I really like, I really like, Hey, come over and hang out the house at the house. Like so Southern culture is you get a few people over the house and you spend all day together. Yes. And then you really, yes. you really talk and you really like, I want people to come over here for several hours when they hang out. That's great. And, and, but my wife will tell you like to actually get me out of the house to, to go to like a big party or something is like, I <laughs> it's like really, teeth. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do it. Now when I get there, I'm okay and I have a good time, but I have, there's a certain anxiety that mm. I have to hmm. get in those situations. For sure. A little bit of social ha- anxiety. Yeah. That I have no explanation for. I, other than, I don't know. Sometimes I just want to sit home and watch Kurosawa movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, socializing can be a little bit exhausting. I totally hear yeah. you there. It's, and 
yeah, it feels a little more comfortable when it's in your own space, in your own territory, and you feel, you know, you you can invite the people over that you you know are going to be okay with deep conversation and true relationship. That's that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious about, um, you know, you of course started out in the animation, but it seems like you have gravitated, of course, more towards the story end of things in the last few years. If I'm if I'm reading everything correctly, um, how did that? piece kind of come to fruition how did you decide you know what i love you know the animation piece i love being the workhorse but i'm really really passionate about story well um i i've always loved coming up with ideas i i constantly i'm constantly writing ideas down um i i have all kinds of ideas of my own that i that i want to make and uh i remember about um Man, it's got to be more than ten years ago. I was uh, sharing a house with with uh, two friends of mine, John Alshima, who was my head of story on Kubo, hmm. and uh, and then AJ Jody Kumar, and we had like just some guys over. I said, "Let's have a meeting." It felt like little kids having a clubhouse meeting. I love it. <laughs> I said, let's let's talk. And and during that discussion, I said, "Let's just share ideas." And let's kind of take control of of our futures if possible. And mm. um, and so we just started to chat. Like, wouldn't it be great if we were doing our own projects? And the immediate handicap is that animation is very uh, it's expensive. It is, and yes. and and especially then we didn't have. The, the kinds of tools that that folks have today where they sure. can put stuff on Vimeo and YouTube and you couldn't get exposure that way. Mm. Uh, it was festivals were purely the only way. So yeah. we kind of decided that we were just going to get out there and start putting our stories together and start to pitch. And we didn't have any real direction other than we were just going to do it. So what ended mm. up happening was uh, myself, Shane Prigmore, Andy Schuler. We we all we each kind of had our own ideas and we started to work on them together, and nice. we just started because we got, had gotten to know a certain amount of people. Then uh, we started to just call people up and say, "Hey, can we come pitch this idea to you?" And what happened is we started to actually get traction on some things. Wow! Uh, we sold uh, we sold an idea for a pilot at Cartoon Network that we we actually ended up making. Um, we we people were there there was an immediate reaction to the ideas and part of it was we would write the idea up but we could all do like we could all do character design we could all do storyboards we could do a a lot of things that you would that you would normally do yeah and and i was just having a blast there was so much because you know let's be honest about it uh and i'm i'm i want to preface this by saying that i'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I mean sure. that sincerely, but it ain't always the most fun. Um, it's hard you know, work. It's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. It's very political at times. Yes. Um, and so just to be doing this stuff with close friends hmm. was, was really fulfilling. Yes. And, and I, and what was great about it too, was I had the leverage of having a full-time job. So when we would negotiate to sell these ideas, we could just go, nah, nah, I don't want to do it because I got, I've got a job. And if I'm going to quit it. that job to do this, I want it to be under the right 
circumstances. Yes. That's and, great. And so, like, we did, like, we pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched. And I remember the first thing that really landed was this uh, project called Project Gilroy. Um, uh, that's this crazy thing. I would like to get back to it at some point. So uh, we we sold it and started to develop it. And the development process takes forever. And yes. in that time, uh, I was working on Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends with Shane. And then Andy started working on it. And then we all got offers to come work on Coraline, all three of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> so unfortunately for Craig McCracken, who is still a friend, uh, I was like, we were all like, oh, Craig, yeah, we're going to go work on a movie. <laughs> and But we also had, we, we'd also sold this pilot to Cartoon Network. So we actually storyboarded that pilot. We put the animatic together on Andy's computer. We recorded Scratch ourselves in his wow. basement. And yeah, and so uh, so like I'm go I'm going through like I'm really going through the history of, uh, you know, I've started off with I love to tell stories, and then we just kind of were like, hey, let's do it. And I think you said it before, people are just like grabbing it and saying, let's do it. That's one of the things I've never really been shy about. I just I will just mm. go do something. Yeah. And then I want to get a reaction from it, and once I get a reaction, you wait and see if, if people are going to dig it or not. So is that typically uh, your litmus test for, you know, whether an idea is worth putting more time and energy to into is, you know, you know, you're resonating with that piece and you're resonating with what you're pitching, but waiting for that positive reaction from others. And if it just doesn't come, has that happened? Have you had an idea you're super passionate about? You're pitching it and, you know, you're not getting the reaction you're hoping for. What then? My what what I found mostly the the. I usually don't share a concept unless I really think it would be strong. Usually what I find in sharing it with people is that I'm not being clear with it. If if oh, if it's okay. not if it's not landing with people, it's because I figured this whole thing out in my head and I assume that people are where I'm at with the idea when sure. I pitch it. They can and read so, your mind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I I have to slow down and kind of step back. People will tell you probably I would imagine people would say this about me. It's not like I constant I love to tell stories. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Mm. It's part of the culture that I came from. And it's not that I'm constantly in pitch mode. I just like sharing ideas with people. Mm. And it is a it, it's like the best training is I'm going to pitch you this concept. Now, for me, the high concept is the easy part. Hmm. Executing on that high concept and making the story better than the high concept is the tough part. Yeah. Because I think what people do is they think that a high concept, a high concept should be married with a, a complex or a complicated story, hmm. which I'm not afraid of. Sure. And m most often it's not. I think it's one of the reasons why Logan is so successful is uh the live action film because it takes characters that we all know but the high concept of it is what if a guy whose powers come from his mind had alzheimer's hmm. and now he's the most dangerous weapon in yeah. the world and what if wolverine this guy who's got this amazing healing power it, it's not working so well anymore he's getting he's getting yeah. uh, hurt and now like mutants are public enemy number one 
That's the high concept, right? Yes. But when you go see that movie, it could not be simpler. It's a Western. <laughs> yes. It could not be simpler. And I think that's the beauty of that film yes. is they were like, hey, we got the goods with the concept. Let's just make sure that we have characters that live up to it. And mm. and that's what people are, are going to come and see are these rich, nuanced characters. And and that's uh, James Mangold, director, Cal Arshin. Little shout out, shout out there. James uh, <laughs> Mangold was a, went to Cal Arts Live Action and learned under one of the greatest, um, um, Alexander McKendrick, um, um, film director and kind of a story teachers and Mm. filmmakers. Um, anyway, so I just love to tell stories and I think it's, it's when you start to act on it and you start to kind of make these stories real just by creating art or writing things on it. It's, it's addictive for me. That's Uh, fantastic. And if you, I get bored easily. So like I'll be in doing some character design on it. And then I'm like, I'm bored with character design. Let me do some storyboards. <laughs> I'm bored with doing boards. Let me let me write some pages for it. Yes. And and so then those I transition. Skills probably serve you really well. You know, you you can do it all, and so you can you know get those ideas out when you have them. That's really cool because you know we know some writers that they never went to art school, and so they have to rely on other talent to try to get their full vision out, and that communication can be tricky. So that's really cool. Yeah, showing somebody a picture. Um, in a pitch can get you past a lot of because tone is everything. Yes. And, and if you can't convey that tone in a pitch, which is very difficult to Mm do, -hmm. an image can convey that tone for you. Yes. That's a Um, great point. So, yeah. I have so many questions around story because I know you're really passionate about story, not just passionate about it, really good at it. Um, so I've got, I've got a, a few of them here. Um, and so we'll just move through them and go on any tangents you want, but you feel really strongly about making stories personal and you've been very outspoken about that. Can you explore, um, a little bit of what you mean by that and how you have managed to do that? And you can maybe use Kubo as an example or anything people might be familiar with in terms of stories you've put out there and how those are personal to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, because these things take so long. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you have to find something that is going to engage you, yes. uh, and be very important to you to, to kind of keep you engaged. So yes. usually the way I work is there will be something that I have an incredible fondness for. Um, I almost slipped and said something about my <laughs> next project and that's, that will be one half of it. But then I immediately say, how can I use this thing that people might view as a bit of pop culture or a bit of mythology mm. that they're familiar with and then use it to to get to something deeper and talk about something deeper than that thing because like, I'm not a real big fan and it seems to be happening a lot lately where where people are so kind of uh, uh, deep into their nostalgia for something mm. that that they will coast on only the nostalgia of it mm. and and to me it's kind of lazy and yeah. it's it's I, it's not, and when I say something is personal, I mean it could be comedic too. It could be funny. Oh sure. I find that that things are that are specific to you emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, people share, and yeah. so 
to, to carry something for as long as we have to do. Kubo, you know, 2001 is when I first came up with that idea. Mm-hmm. To carry that as long as I that did. a long time, yes. Yeah, yeah. Before I optioned it to Leica in, in 2012, you it, there has to be something behind it. And what I find is if you start um, with an idea that's deeply personal, it only becomes more so. And, sure. uh, so, you know, it, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken about it widely. Uh, yes. I wish that it was spoken more about, um, by the studio, but, sure. uh, uh, the, the inspiration for Kubo was my wife's relationship, um, with, uh, with her mother hmm. who, who, who had dementia. And, uh, I remember there was this kind of a, I was, uh, Meg and I were, you know, at work and we were, you know, we started to have feelings for each other and she brought me by her house hmm. and, and to meet her mom. And I knew that she would have to leave work sometime to take care of her mom. Sure. And, and then I met her and her mom had, she'd grown up in, uh, in Alabama. Um, she had polio when she, uh, when she was a kid. Wow. So she always had a, a bit of a limp. Sure. And then she had subsequently uh, ha- she was in a wheelchair at this point, and mm. she suffering from dementia for over twenty years. Oh wow! And it's really kind of how my 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 wife had always remembered her. She'd oh, only kind of known her. This way. Yeah. Um. But you say the word dementia, and I think people get the wrong idea because when I came in, I saw this funny, you know, incredibly sure. smart. Lively. Yeah, I mean, amazing lady, and immediately there was connection. I, and I think I passed uh, the a hole test with my <laughs> wife, and and I immediately hit it off with her with her mom. And so a few months after we were maybe a year or so after we've been dating as a gift, I did two pieces of artwork, and mm. I was really in. I was reading Lafcadio Hearn's translation of Kaidan, oh, wow. uh, which is a series of of Japanese folk tales at the time. And you know, folk tales are, are an amazing way to, that that people would share personal lessons. Yes. Whether it was, hey, don't go into the woods because guess what? There's a boogeyman in the woods, <laughs> and he will. This year, eviscerate you, and, <laughs> yes. and you know, it's a very good tool for that. So, um, so I thought, what if I, what if I took inspiration from these folk tales, but embedded my wife's story hmm. in the story? So I said, um, and the whole idea originally was there is a kid uh, who has a role reversal who has to k- take care of the parent because that there is something going on that we don't know about. Yes. What you find out is that, uh, in Japanese mythology, they have these, uh, these beings called sky maidens mm. and that the sky maiden had been trapped in this human body and that her son wanted to save her from being trapped in this body. And mm. so he went on a journey to, to kind of free her from her earthly prison. And I did these pieces of artwork. Uh, and originally he was going to do at the very beginning, he was going to do like drawings that came to life. And then because Meg started to work with paper and origami is such a big, and kirigami is such a big tradition in, in, yes. in Japanese. Art, I made Kubo an origami artist. And so um, there, there were a lot of things that, that would inform me as we were making the movie 
that would be very specific. And so mm. uh, that would actually help me to get to something deeper. So I remember sure. uh, when the first time uh, that I met with uh, Charlize Theron um, mm. uh, to do the voice of Monkey and, 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 and Matthew McConaughey uh, to be the voice of Beatle, saying, well, listen, this, this is a very personal story. You guys read it and you responded. They had read the, the draft. Mm. Uh, uh, the, I think it was probably the first rewrite. We didn't re- rewrite that script a lot. It wow. was, um, yeah, it wasn't, I think, three drafts total maybe. Wow, that's really impressive. Um, and, and I remember sharing with them, like, hey, this is, now you've read that moment. Now let me tell you what's behind that moment. Here's the mm. personal story behind that moment. And when you share that, it helps. I mean, we're working with amazing actors anyway. Yes. And and then when you give them that kind of a personal into it, it helps every step of it. Whenever oh, I did yeah. a character design, right? Like it, it, it just enriches the story. Absolutely. And, and I don't. I think when you don't go that deep, and it just becomes this surface thing. It's not good. You might, it might be, it's, it's like sugary candy. I'll enjoy it for the moment, but forget about it uh, after I've had it. Yeah. And and what I want to do is, is tell stories. And I, and I thought, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could actually make an animated movie where I could educate people about dementia and show, you know, the first time that you see Kubo's mother, like I boarded the first uh, about six, six and a half minutes myself. So I boarded the whole opening Wow. with his mother on the waves and then all the way up through their first morning together where it's all silent and he's, he's making breakfast for her. Yes. That was my experience with, with I me. Mean, Meg's mom could talk and, and joke. So we were kind of doing the, the extreme version of it. But then there's also this idea of sundowner syndrome with, with, uh, people who are affected mm. by Alzheimer's and I reversed it because her power is tied into the sure. moon. So she was silent during the day, and then when the sun goes down, we show that very clearly. Yes. And she sees Kubo, and now it's like she's come out of um, this enchanted sleep. And then she can engage with her son, and then they're telling stories, and they're having fun. Because I wanted to show that part of it, too. It's Absolutely. not just melancholy. No, it's and, been, yeah, sorry not to <clears throat> cut you off there, but that, that yeah. um, part of the story has actually opened up a lot of interesting dialogue with my kids. and you know, expanded their worldview and understanding of those things. So it's super powerful. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, no. Like I, this, I love, cause you know, when you put these things out there, you don't know. Absolutely. I, I know uh, a recent examples. I just wrote this treatment and I gave it to Jorge to read and I gave it to another buddy of mine, Peter Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jorge grew up in Mexico. Peter grew up in South central and I wrote this treatment that's set in my hometown in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, and it's very specific. Hmm. And when they read it, they're like, dude, I love it. I love this about it and this oh, about it. This about it. And I was like, well, how did you relate to it? Like, well, listen, I didn't have that exact experience, but I had something similar that to it. heard it, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was that the more specific – and I was – it's funny because I was actually developing this thing. And I, I was I was working with a very well known novelist hmm. who came in. Uh, I was at like, hey, if you worked with him, we might be able to get a green light on this. Hmm. And he happened to be living very close to me at the time, and I was like, well, hey, I would love to meet with him. I love his books, and like I pitched him the idea. And the deeper I got into it, he just kept saying, Shannon, the more specific you can make this, man, like the better it is. Wow. And 
personal you can make it. And, and so for, to, so to hear you say that it's opened up a dialogue for you with your kids and I, and I don't know you and it was very specific for me, it was, it's really cool to hear that. That's um, great. So yeah. Um, sorry. I yeah, probably so that, derailed your train of thought though. <laughs> no, no, no. That's no, that's fine. That's great. In your opinion, I think you kind of answered this, but what do you think separates a good story from a great story? Something that's, and, and I think, again, we've explored this a little bit, but I wonder if you have anything kind of further to say on, on that piece. Man, I would say, I would say some of it is what I've already talked about yes. in, in terms yes. of, uh, something that being, that's being truthful and honest and specific, but then some of it is just pure luck Absolutely. because it's, it's really hard to make these things. Yes. And, and, and like what I talk about is like find a way to get your way. Mm. And what I found is the, the more that you actually try and work with people and listen to what they have to say, mo you know, people want to kind of, um, they want to you know, talk about suits and executives and, mm. and, <laughs> and, and talk about those relationships. And there are some yep. truly kind of poisonous relationships, but I found that that if they're reacting to something, a lot of times they might not know exactly how to specifically what's bothering them. But you should probably listen to it because the fact that it's bothering them might mean that you're not doing your job as well sure. as you could. Maybe you're not being as clear as you could be. Sure. Maybe you're not. Um, uh, you, you know, maybe maybe you where where you thought that you had something that was interesting to you might not yes. be globally interesting and should probably mm. be trimmed away. Maybe you would put a little too much frosting on the cake and you would kind of over describe and explain something when you should just distill it down to its simplest mm. form. Sure. Um, there's that part of it. It's like just steering that tone of it. Um, you know, but the, the, the ones, the, the stories for me that, that really work are the ones where either, they weren't noted to death or the filmmaker was so good at addressing notes that I can't feel the notes. Like that's the worst thing when I'm watching a movie and there've oh, been a lot yeah. of movies where like I'm watching it and I'm like, I know, I know what that note was because I've gotten that <laughs> note and I can, I can see yes. like it, wreck, it wrecked the story right here <laughs> because I saw where you were going and then you had to yeah. turn left because somebody had a note on it and, <laughs> and, and again, it's not I, I, the folks I'm working with uh, right now. Like I was just at Disney in development over there for a while, and I had a blast. Like I, I did nothing but write most of last oh, year that's great. projects there, and then now this project that I'm writing and directing for Sony, uh, and I'm that I'm co-writing with Mark Ames, who wrote Kubo. Um, uh, it they've been nothing but supported like the the guys over that's there that's awesome been, they champion the story that's yeah. so great christine belson there and christine if you're listening this is not just me kissing your butt <laughs> to make you look good publicly i truly truly love working with christine just they they're they know they knew what i wanted to do from the beginning hmm. and just been supporting that so i think those projects where you not only i mean for me you can see if if the purity of a filmmaker's idea, if it comes through, those are the treasures to me. 
Hmm. So, for example, this year, like Red Turtle was by far one of my favorite movies this year. And uh, uh, I remember talking to people. I was super pumped to see it and then talking to people after they came out and they couldn't quite express I, what I felt was people felt like they should like it and then they didn't hmm. and but they thought that they sh- they should say that they did Interesting. and so it, it had me a little worried and <laughs> oh dear. and then and yeah. then I I sat down to watch now here's I did this in one day to myself I watched Lego Batman at the beginning of the day <laughs> which if you've seen it yes. it's like it like it's in, in insanity yes and 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 i don't mean that as a slight at all and then i saw red turtle which is the complete complete opposite wow. of it and <laughs> and red turtle i was like i couldn't as quiet as that film was like there are a lot of films who are screaming in your face to get your attention hmm. and they can't keep your attention yes. and and that one was quietly engaging me and i could have hmm. watched it again and again and again um, wow. So, uh, you know, those, uh, and it's because the purity of the filmmaker's vision came through. I'll say this about like, if you watch, you can critique these stories if you want, but like, look at something like Coraline. I think the reason mm. that that has so far been like his most successful film is because, uh, there's a purity to Henry's vision for it. Mm. And it feels very much like a Henry Selleck film. And there's just something special about it. When I watch that movie, you can, and if you talk to Henry, he's like, yeah, I got to do exactly what I wanted. Hmm. And, and I think it's why Nightmare Before Christmas, um, uh, you know, has, has lasted as long as it has. Um, so those are the films I really respond to. If I watch any Kurosawa film, uh, where like he cut the movie, he shot the movie, like he did, he wrote the movie. Those are the films, and far too often you don't see that in animation. I think it's yeah, this, the yeah. reason why early Pixar was so successful is very small group of guys yes. who were making the films that they wanted to make, and they were writing them and working with people who got exactly what they wanted to do, and there's just a purity to the vision. Mm-hmm. And and those are ones that really impact me um, Absolutely. In, in a way. Um, so I think – I know i am kind of been all over the place, but those, like, there's Ooh, just – it's great you hit that magic and it's so hard to hit. And when you do, like I look at Kurosawa, I'm like, how'd that dude hit it so many times? <laughs> uh, he, yes. I think, I think it was because he was left alone. Miyazaki's mm. another one. Mm-hmm. He owns his own studio. So, so, you know, so much he, creative control. Yeah. And so, because he has that much control, um, you, you get to see that pure vision up on the screen. And those are the films that will last. Absolutely. Uh, as a writer, have you, and I know you direct occasionally too, um, have you found that that's, it's, it's a scary process to sort of hand your vision over to, you know, be at the mercy of someone else? Um, or do you usually just find a way to get your way and kind of stay attached to the project and, and fight for the story and what's best for the story? Well, uh, I will, I'll be as simple as I can about it. I would sure. never willingly hand over something that I had written for somebody else to direct. Gotcha. If I made the choice to do it, then that's one thing. Sure. But, but, uh, well, I, I was the original director on Kubo for a long time. I directed okay. the actors. Um, and, and it's why it's, I'm directing the project that I'm writing now. Sure. So I would say, 
like if, if I'm going to put this much energy into it and I'm going to write it, yeah. you're going to have to pry it out of my cold dead hands <laughs> That's to do it. I would say the fear, the fear comes more out of making sure that you're translating um, your vision to your yes. crew. That's a hard but, thing to do. Yeah. And so I try to be as specific as I can when I'm writing pages hmm. and some people, like some people will read the pages and they get very, excited, Oh man, this is definitely a director script. And then others are like, Oh man, it's director script. I don't know if execs are going to get it because it's uh, like to me, like one of my favorite scripts of all time is James Cameron's uh, aliens script. His first oh, yeah. draft is pretty much exactly the, like down to the smallest detail. Wow. It's, uh, it's it's the movie like there's a I think he describes uh, water dripping down into coffee cups and making wow. this donut soggy in the script and it's, you incredible. see it when they when they're going through the colony at the beginning to me I'm not saying you have to go into that much detail but I I, I think it, it's as clear as you can be in that first stage when you're writing mm. the easier it is for people to read it and go I know exactly what you want yes and it doesn't mean that it won't be plussed along the way. You know, my best collaborators are people that make it even better than what I had in my head. Hmm. Um, but to me, it's just I want to make sure I get so excited in the room yes. that I have to, to, <laughs> to slow myself down. And so I constantly will ask people, I'm like, was that clear? Do you have any questions? Because hmm. I see it clearly – like I can see it down to the minute detail. It doesn't mm. mean that that they see it the way that I do. Exactly. And I want to leave room too because there might be something that they see that's different. Um, mm. So there's uh, – I just recently uh, on this new project, I was able to work with Simon Wells. Um, nice. Who's doing some storyboards uh, on the film. That guy – like I'm, I'm getting an education from that guy. Cause <laughs> That's amazing. The way that he works is he can read the pages. He knows exactly what you want and he will give you exactly that. But if wow. you allow him, he'll, he will give you better. Hmm. And, but his ideas are in support of, of that, that specific idea. And he works differently in that he doesn't, he doesn't start with thumbnail drawings. He starts with a shot list, which hmm. is what I do when I launch board artists sometimes. Um, if I know exactly what I want, if I can't thumbnail it out myself, I'll give a shot list. So he'll give you a shot wow. list because he can do that in a half a day rather than taking two or three days to thumbnail it. And then I'll look at the shot list and because he's described it in such detail, I'm like, okay, I know exactly what he's thinking. I'm like, well, you know what? I would prefer this angle or I would prefer like being in a wide rather than being so tight here because here's what the intent is. Mm. And we'll negotiate it through that shot list, and then once we agree on it, then he just goes. And then he's wow. like, okay, it will be 90 drawings for this page, <laughs> and it will take me a day for each page. Oh, my and goodness. And like that, like that, I cannot say enough good things about Simon. Like he, it's been – That's mind-boggling. Uh, yeah, and so um, there's a guy who kind of uh, – you know, it's very it's very easy to work with. He, he gets it, and he's a visual guy. Hmm. And um, but then also communicating the emotional because people haven't experienced what I have I've experienced in in certain moments. Uh, sure. I try to make the things 
uh, like the, this next thing I'm working on is really about my experience with, with fatherhood. Hmm. And it's why Kramer versus Kramer is a, is a biggie because it's really about a love story between a father and a son. And, and when you, the, as I understand it, I, th- I think this is right. Dustin Hoffman was actually going through a divorce while the script was being written and the writer leaned heavily on Dustin. Wow. And it's why the movie resonates so much because like, it was really happening. And, uh, and so, uh, but those are the, the big fears for me is like in, in passing an idea along and also, but then I have like uh, like Tony Saruno is working with me right now in character design, and I normally I design the characters for my movies. Yeah, and th- this will be the first time that I worked with Jesse Acklin, who is amazing on Kubo. But at that point, I'd already established who all the main characters were, and and this time I'm kind of letting some. I'm like, hey Tony, <laughs> now, I've known Tony for a very long time now, so I'm like, Tony, can you? Like here's this main character and and he just killed it. Like he's that's amazing. You didn't have to was, micromanage him. <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's the best. That's uh, <laughs> you know. So so those are the th- and then and then the fear that maybe your idea is not good, but mm. you can't be you can't be you can't ever stop. You have to keep. I, like I, I'll tell people, even if people have an initial reaction to something, when we board it the first time, I'm like, hey, let me just see this out sure. because there's something about it. Like the thing uh, on there's this Google short I did called On Ice, and and the the uh, it's free, everyone. So yeah. please check it out. Just check <laughs> it out. Definitely. There's there's something that happens at the end where the whole punchline for me was making fun of this new medium. And I make fun of it. Um, this is with, a virtual reality piece. Is that correct? Or yeah, it's, it's on the yeah, it's three sixty, and and so it's on your phone. And everybody kept talking about you control the camera. It's you who controls it, <laughs> and the director just steps aside. And I was kind of like, screw that! No, no, no! Like there has to be a creative point of view on this it's thing. True. The director's not yes. stepping aside. Um, and watch. I will. I will control where you're looking. It's you true. might think that control the user's gonna gonna focus where the action is it's the truth so i actually there at one point it's 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 just really i say stupid in a bit like it's i love stupid things and so (laughs) it's it's uh it's an ice capade show and randomly in the middle of this ice capade show a bear shows up on ice skates i love it to to wreck the show (laughs) and and i had this gag that I wanted to do that doesn't just wreck the show for the audience in the film. It wrecks the show for you, the audience watching the film. (laughs) And I pitched this idea on the second day and people got a big chuckle, but I don't think anybody thought I was serious about it. Oh, really? (laughs) And then, and then I was like, no, I think this is a really good idea. And then from people I trust, like who I have the utmost respect for, they were like, you can't do this, man. You, re- you can't do this. Mm. This is going to wreck it. I'm like, I know. I know it's going to wreck it. That's the point. And were, no, you can't do that. You can't do it. And I remember having this conversation with Mark Oftedal, who was my animation supervisor, who is one of the greatest living animators. He mm. really is. And he um, uh, he he was like, I remember we were going out to dinner one night. We were working there in Mountain View in, 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 at Google. 
And he was like, man, you can't, you can't do it. And then I said, let me explain to you how I see this thing. And so I said, let's say that it's Monday morning and you're talking to your buddy at the water cooler about going to this ice show over the weekend. Hmm. And your buddy's like, well, what did you think about the ice show? I was like, oh, you know, it's pretty cool. It's like this sci-fi theme, like a Star Wars knockoff kind of thing. And, you know, it was fine. But cra- it was crazy. Like toward the end of the show, this bear shows up on ice skates and it just starts kind of wrecking the show. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? Was he part of the show? No, man, I think he just randomly showed up. And well, what happened? Well, the rest of the performers kind of went on with it. But the, the, the star of the show was like really frustrated and he started getting worked up. And then and then then the bear just kind of goes away. And then well, well, what happened next? Um, and then and then and then I say. And then I, I said uh, and then Mark goes and I said a guy I says, I don't know. And Mark goes. Yeah, because a guy stood up in front of me and I couldn't see the end of the show. And I said, exactly, Mark. And he goes, he goes, I get it. And but even then, I still have people who did not like they they wouldn't they didn't get it at all. A lot of resistance, yeah. And I, I said, but what was so beautiful about that experience is I had total creative control. They were like, listen, we're going to give you notes, but you don't have to listen to any of them. I said, okay, great. On this one, guess what? I'm not listening to the note. And then I when I finally it. when I finally executed it, <laughs> they were like, "You were totally right. You're totally like this is this is the whole." And Mark Osborne got it immediately. I showed it to him. That's great. And like I I still like I remember very clearly like getting to that point in the short, and Mark just like, "Oh my god!" Like he immediately <laughs> like, we were soul brothers at that point, and he was like, "Dude, you just That's like so great." He's like, "You totally subverted." this whole thing that everybody's talking about. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be, I, but basically I wanted to say, I'm the director. You'll see what I want you to see. Yes. <laughs> and, and I wanted to be a little bit of a punk about it. And I wanted, I wanted to challenge this whole idea of it. And, uh, and then it worked. Now, having said all that, there are also ideas where like I've doubled down on and I've had to eventually go, you know what? I was wrong, guys. That's that really, or it might, it yes. might work at the moment, and then it's not servicing the rest of the story. And and that's again what that's why you surround yourself with people you trust. Yes. Who at a certain point they're like, listen, we've heard you loud and clear, and mm. if you're saying you really do want our opinion, we're saying like if if a lot of people are saying like it's really affecting this, 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 and this, you should probably listen. So that's awesome. yeah, so I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm afraid of not trying it. Hmm. That's where, like, I want to at least try it. And on a production schedule, sometimes it's just, uh, it's tough because um, you're kind of racing from the beginning yes. and you don't have time to be ex- experimental, but I always try and make time for it. So. I love it. And I love your approach with 360 I actually come from the VR world. Um, and so many folks are, deathly afraid of virtual reality and 360 video because they don't understand it and you're right they do feel like the user controls where they look when really that's not the case the action you know determines where they're going to be focusing and i love that you weren't afraid of that and you and you proved them wrong and you just kind of went after it that's that's a rare thing at least currently so that's so so cool 
Yeah, um, it's oh man, I would do it in a heartbeat again. It was so it was so cool to think in a different way. But I mean, you're still telling the story, yes. so and people still want to be told a story. You're you've probably seen this. It, if it's only a gimmick, if it's only hey, check yeah. it out, man, a T Rex came into the room. Like if it's an AR thing, they immediately go. So what happens next? Yep. They don't. They're like, <laughs> okay, the novelties. I'm tired now. It's Show true. me a story. So. Yes, it is very, yeah, and most executions are so gimmicky and, and people are ready for it to move beyond that. It kind of reminds me, I think, a little bit of when silent movies became talkies and, you know, initially, you know, what do we even do with this dialogue? We'll just throw it in there because we can have dialogue. Uh, but, you know, then it started to mature a little bit. And, of course, you know, sound became something that was essential to the storytelling. But yeah, it's it's a crazy medium, and I love it when folks aren't afraid of it, and they're not afraid to explore it, and you know, and and prove people wrong in terms of their perceptions. That's so cool. Well, I couldn't believe that like people are so fa- afraid of cutting, <laughs> and people are like, "No, man, you can't, you can't cut, you can't cut because you know it's a different medium, and you can't really do this." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "And so, so here, I'll tell, I'll drop a name here." So I was in Italy at this. There's this amazing animation. Uh, it's it's like a it's part festival, and okay. I was there with Jorge and Mark Osborne, and um, and and I had my short, and I was showing it to, to Scott Car- Carroll, who's a supervising animator, at Blue Sky, and Walter Murch comes walking up because he was there. <laughs> Guy knows a few things about yes. editing. <laughs> and I, so he goes, can I check it out? And he's like way up on tech. He's, he knows everything that's going on. (laughs) And so he checked it out. And so he was chuckling and we had a conversation. I said, I said, Walter, now people are already saying that you can't cut. He's like, that's ridiculous. And I said, and I said, imagine like the first time somebody saw a cut on a silent film when they'd never seen somebody edit. He goes, I know like it was, it was incredibly shocking to people. I can tell you, you know, it's like the history of it. He says, so you got to try it and then people will get used to this new language. It's true. And, and so, but it was like so early. I was like, no man, not now's not the time to be afraid. Now's the time to be like to go crazy (laughs) with it. Yes. Um, because soon enough people are going to stop spending the money they are on it or they're, or they're going to start to kind of, no, you can't. You need to do this because we got to monetize it now. It's like, yeah. no, go wild now, <laughs> and then have people kind of rein you in. So I love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, when when you're writing, and I love that you explored, um, kind of between the lines, if you will, and how much uh, definition and vision casting is too much versus really, um, you know, getting it right. But I'm curious about dialogue. When you're writing dialogue, what is your personal secret in terms of making sure that it doesn't sound over-engineered and it seems natural and it also rings true with the character? Uh, my personal secret is to rewrite it over and over. And over. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's great. And, and I do it all the time. I, I you know, Mark Hames is, is really great at writing dialogue. Mm. Um. I, what I really try and do is is at the point that I'm actually writing a script, I already know quite a bit about the characters. Sure. And uh, what I will do, as a lot of writers do, I'll read it out loud to people. It's less for them and more for me to kind of hear it. Yeah. Being the audio test, yeah. 
Yeah, and me going like, wow, no, people really don't talk like that. <laughs> and true. and then, or if I've written a, uh, I will, I will, I will say like right now, like if I'm writing a female character, I'm not a woman. Hmm. I don't have that perspective. I have a daughter and a wife hmm. who are, and so I will lean on them. I'm like, hey, would you? I just wrote this, uh, this cold open for uh, a, a TV show that I was involved with, and I was writing this part of a 15 year old girl hmm. and, and like I, I said, okay, I'm going to read you this right now. And I think, I, I think this feels authentic, but I don't know when I read it to my wife and she goes, Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> but, but you want to do this because you missed it here. Sure. Sure. And so I remember Stephen King talking about that on writing when he wrote, uh, Carrie, um, yes. and, and really talking to his wife and, but he threw it in the trash. His wife dug it back out. She goes, no, this is important for you to tell the mm. story. And, um, so I, I, I'll listen to people in conversations. I'll listen to the rhythm to it. Um, you know, it, it's, I would rather if I, if I read something like, um, Aaron Sorkin, obviously is amazing at, at writing dialogue and, and he, I know he views it as music and there's mm. a rhythm to it. And is it can be stylized with him sometimes. Sure. But it feels natural. Like, I really yeah. think Steve Jobs is one of the overlooked films from last year. And I, I really dig that movie. Hmm. And it's it's a lot of credit to Danny Boyle for, for shooting it so that it didn't feel like a play. Because it really is it's like a play in three acts. <laughs> That's uh, a good point. But it's there's a quality to it that that feels believable to me. Hmm. And there's a difference between reality and believability. Uh, I, I would kind of, I kind of pull back uh, from things like things that sometimes you want you, your hero to say things that you wish you could have said in a moment. Yeah. And it's okay to do that a couple of times. But like, when I watch some uh, like TV, TV dramas, or teen dramas, every character is always clever all the time. And <laughs> yes. they always have the perfect thing That's really thing to irritating. <laughs> yeah, and I hate it. I hate it. It's like, no, sometimes you, you can't, you don't have a comeback or a quip for something, and you just fail miserably, and you look like an idiot, or yes. you, at least you feel like you look like an idiot. <clears throat> and <laughs> I like true. to see characters fail on screen. I think people, yes. uh, people are attracted to characters that mm. fail on screen. So it's okay to stumble. Now, if you have a character who's confident and in the moment – there's some characters like there's a character I'm writing right now when a lot of things in public, he's, he's a very public figure. Hmm. Uh, he's like on it. He's super charming. He always has the right thing to say when he's in public, when he's talking about things that are personal, it's very awkward for him hmm. and he's not so good at it. And there's public him and private him hmm. and they're, they're different. And, um, so that that's kind of my approach to dialogue is just trying to be believable about it, mm. not perfectly realistic, but believable enough sure. that people are like, oh, yeah, I've been in that situation. I've said the same thing. Um, I probably write too much into little pauses and, and breaks and things, uh, but it never hurt the Coen brothers, not comparing myself to them at all. But <laughs> there's not a, there's not a word or a breath on screen that they haven't written for the actor. <laughs> I love it. No, th those oh. are some really actionable, just 
common sense points. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. But um, just two more questions for you. Um, One of them would be, I love that you run the female perspective that you write by your wife. And of course, as your daughter gets older, I'm sure she'll be a great resource for that. Um, I'm curious um, in terms of uh, yourself, maybe, you know, being married to a woman who is artistic how that may have either opened your eyes or maybe you were just already very aware of the challenges that women face, you know, in animation, of course, they face it in tech and whatnot. But I'm curious about your perspective on that, as well as um, really uh, helpful things that you've found in terms of getting more women involved in storytelling and animation. Just any thoughts you have around that, I think would be interesting to hear. Well, I would say... I would there. There's some. Uh, what I would like to see is uh, kind of the obvious problem of it being attacked. First off, in attra- attracting uh, more uh, women and even like minorities into animation programs or filmmaking mm-hmm. programs. Because when I was in school, it was mostly guys in my class. Yeah. That that that's what it was, yep. and I don't I don't know why that I don't know why it is. I, I don't know. To me, that's where uh, some research should be done. Like, why is that? I mean, it's. I think it's one of the reasons why there's a, a flood of it in on the creative side. Um, it just when I now I know it's changing, which is awesome. Yes, and and that's really great. All I can do there's a project that I was just doing at Disney, where I very intentionally wrote a character uh, who was a little girl and who was African American, and. That's great. And with the the pursuit of if, if the project went that I was going to have a very diverse room of people in that room to write it uh, mm. because there's a certain perspective that I know and there's a story that I want to tell. Yeah. But I thought, OK, if I'm looking around me and what I'm seeing are white male faces, then then I, it's, I have an obligation to try and and create diverse characters at least set it up that way and then bring people who actually experience that who actually live that way to help me write these characters and stories Um, that's great absolutely 100 percent. we need to have more women directors we need to have more african-american directors we need to have more uh more indian american directors we need to have like there needs to be, be diverse voices yes uh we also need to be celebrating the other aspects of the industry where where they have excelled and there's been a very positive um, you know support it you'll find a lot of of folks on the production side um, are women and um, really smart sure, women who sure. have a lot to do with the stories that are being told I'm not one of those feminists that is out to uh, demonize men. I think that men are, you know, the best allies that we can have. And why burn that relationship? I think there needs to be a very healthy, you know, understanding of relationship. When I show my daughter something that has a character that she can relate to, um, and it being a woman, she gets very excited. Yes. And, and that alone is enough to say, Hey, when I'm telling her story, because I'll I'll tell her stories that I'm writing at night sometimes, and when she finds out that it's a little girl, oh, what that. her reaction is <laughs> is the only gauge that I have because I only have my perspective. You sure. know, I try I, you try to take in as much as you can, 
But I have my – and I try to be as open. And luckily I live in a place where there's so many diverse points of view. I can just call friends up and say, hey, can you help me with this? Hmm. Whether whether it's you're on staff or whether you're a part of this behind the scenes with me, I need this to be – because like I said before, I want something to feel authentic. And if it sure. doesn't feel authentic, the audience knows it. And and I, I certainly want to uh, – you know, fight this idea that, that I can't imagine having grown up and not and not had a hero that I could get behind. Now, sure. I've got my both on both sides of my family. It's it's heavy Native American background. That's mm. that's. But for all intents and purposes, I grew up as a white kid in the South. Sure. And, and so so to be able to to try and keep things and and uh, to to share stories that don't normally get told and luckily are being more, you know, like Moonlight was one of my favorite movies this year. Hmm. And that that movie got made at all and that I could see it. And, and like, I don't, I don't know that world <laughs> at all. Yes. And it did not matter. It didn't matter. I was immediately engaged by the characters. Hmm. So, I mean, all I can say is, is, uh, you know, I'm doing what I can, what I can do. Oh, I like absolutely. Absolutely. I like to tell uh, diverse stories, but I, 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 you know, now like when you go into places like Cal Arts, you just encourage and really tr like try like what what is actually happening, because Hollywood is not ever intentional. All they care, all Hollywood cares about is money. <laughs> it's true. It, it, it really is the truth. Like they, they really, they it's like when true. people are like Hollywood's racist. I'm like <laughs> Hollywood's, uh, you know, it's like. Hollywood is this big business that if they see if they tomorrow saw that 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 they could make tens of millions of dollars off of something like Moonlight, there'd be 30 of them. It's true. And <laughs> and so it's just finding. And I think you're seeing with things like Get Out. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, now that movie cost what, like nine million bucks, <clears throat> five million bucks. And it's made one hundred and seventy. Amazing. Yes. So, but now what I want to see is, you know, they're already, did you hear like what the rumor was like, uh, Jordan Peele has been approached to direct Akira. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Uh, Akira, somebody already made Akira and he was Japanese <laughs> and, and, and like in Jordan, like Jordan, I want you to, I want you to use this, this new power you have and make more of that thing that tells that very specific <laughs> point of view. Don't, don't make Akira, please. <laughs> Uh, I always seek to do better. If you give, if you start kids out early and you give them, uh, if you only feed them chicken nuggets, it's all they'll ever want. But if you, but if you give them a rich diversity in their diet, they will, they will like to try and they'll like to explore. And so in the same way with our content, if we make just, if we make something that's quality and we share different points of view and we tell really compelling stories from all these different backgrounds, People are going to love it. They're going to they're they're, they're really going to be into it. And I think Moana is another example of that. Of nobody cared, like they just wanted to see a fun, good movie, and that's True. what they got. And now you have these. You have you have diverse. Um, you have all these different faces and outlooks and backgrounds, mm. and we actually find out that we can relate on a lot of things. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. If you were talking to kind of a, a diverse group of creatives they may not be in the animation space but they're at the beginning of uh, taking the leap and pursuing what they're truly passionate about um, as a career 
Um, what might you share with them in terms of things that you've personally learned along the way that have really helped sustain you, whether it's leadership lessons or uh, just something in general that you've held on to to kind of keep yourself motivated and going? I'm just curious what you might share with them uh, in a setting like that. I would say some of these things will be you've heard you know, ad nauseum, but surround sure. yourself that are people, uh, surround yourself with people who are honest and better than you. Um, and listen to them, have an open conversation with them, but also know that if you are telling your own story, you are the expert on that story. Nobody knows that story better than you. It doesn't mean that you can't get help on it to make it better and clearer, but, uh, you know, be truthful to that story. Hmm. And listen to your gut. Really listen to your gut. The more – it sometimes it's, like it's very tough to listen to what your heart's telling you yeah. if you're an editorial or you're like – but if you got that nagging, it's not – It's and when you know – like Brad Bird said something. He said he can, fe- he can feel sometimes in the room people are trying to will him to just say yes and approve something. Like 100 <laughs> voices going to approve, approve, approve. And you're like, mm, it's not quite there. Listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I would say don't always be respectful, but don't feel like you have to ask for permission. You know, somebody was asking me recently, they were like, well, how did you start writing? I'm like, I just started doing it. Yes. Uh, there was an example recently at Disney where I pitched something to them, uh, this idea for a major franchise. Uh, they really liked the idea and they gave me two weeks and they said, um, here are our notes address those and come back to pitches, uh, pitch to us in two weeks. And I've been down this, this before. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? A pitch ain't quite going to cut it. And so (laughs) I, so what I did, I didn't ask permission. Um, two days before we were going to have this presentation, I said, guys, I wrote the script for the pilot. Wow. And this is what, this is my pitch. This is everything that I want to do with it. I'm not saying it's perfect, but tonally, mm. this is what I want to make. And that's that's my word on it at this point. This is what I'm coming back to you with. Mm. And they read it and that's and they and it got a very positive response. So wow. the more you ask permission to do things, the more people tend to they don't know what your abilities are until you show them yes. what your abilities are. And like, I, it's, I'm not saying like it's perfect. It's just, if your gut is telling you the best way to communicate something is by actually executing the thing, hmm. execute the thing. Just do it. Yeah. And, 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 um, and it, it will, it will serve you. And the more that you can do it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to fail, but at least be bold enough to just, to just try it and Absolutely. put it out there and be bold enough to take notes from people who are trying to help you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I would say. That's great. I love it. Thank you so much, Shannon. If people want to follow you online, where do you prefer they find you? Uh, They can find me on Twitter. Um, Just look up Shannon Tindall. They can find me on Instagram. I think I'm Shannon Tindall. (laughs) Shannon (laughs) underscore Tindall there, too. (laughs) It's like I wasn't like Jorge guilted me into being way more uh, active on social media. (laughs) So he's pretty active himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so that that's where you can find me. Uh, I have plenty of useless things to say. Um, but this has been awesome. You have like the most perfect like radio voice ever. Oh like you goodness. were so you were so cut out for this. This has been awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Shannon. I so appreciate yeah. that.